All right, Bruce, thanks for coming. Yeah. Yes, um, of course, you know, um, we have a dedication. So the guests, before we begin, gets to dedicate it to anything they like. So person, place, or thing. What would you like to dedicate the episode to? Yeah, like I, I, I was thinking of, I had possibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of me was like, I want to dedicate it to my mom, who never really supported me in what I did in entertainment. Really? Never? <laughs> who, who even at <laughs> age 45, she would call and say, so when are you going to get a real job? <laughs> I'm like, Mom, but I have a four-bedroom home and a kid. and you know, Right, yeah. We're doing okay. We're doing good. <laughs> we live in L.A. We're all right. <laughs> so I thought, well, okay. She's dead, so that's kind of dark in a way. In a way, slightly. Yeah. slightly. So I thought maybe my ex-wife, who, you know, I don't want to support an actor. I don't want anything to do with that. And really, so and we ended up divorcing a long time ago. And it's yeah. funny she found me thirty odd years later just to say I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so not a letter, just an yeah, appearance, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but I really want to dedicate to my wife, who's been with me through literally thick and thin, through up and down. We've been together. Uh, 38 years fantastic year. nice so yeah we've done everything where we were gypsies working on film crews and we were actors and uh, corporate producers she was corporate producer uh, she actually taught video okay. editing to kids after as an after school program alright and actually won some awards so she's she's my rock upon which I rest <laughs> alright wonderful my, wonderful my lug head <laughs> We're back with Bruce Purcell, right? Yes, absolutely. I, I got it right. Without even practice, I work. Yeah, if you had to spell it, it'd be different. It'd be so. slightly different. You know what? Before we get, started, I miss. There's not. It doesn't get used. Doesn't get used as much anymore. Nobody's really called Bruce anymore. Yeah, that's true. And there weren't a lot growing up either. I, I could think of only one other Bruce that right. I knew of growing up. And it's funny. We were in a band together. He was. You had two Bruces in a yeah, band. Yeah, we had two Bruces and two Bobbies. So there was the drummer was a Bobby, uh, the lead guitar player and front man was a Bobby. Okay. And then the bass player and I was the other guitar player, Bruce and Bruce. So <laughs> Which you, which you could probably like be titled the B and B's or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, but know. we were the vanilla extract, I think was the name. I love those sixty band yeah, names. Yeah. I love those, <laughs> yes. <laughs> what did you play? Bass guitar for most of my life. I played bass guitar. Okay. But I played guitar in that band. Just six string briefly, because normally I played played bass up until Probably the nineties. Okay, so. and do you still have it? No, no. Actually, I sold off my bases. Okay, much to the chagrin of my wife, <laughs> who bought me one of them. Yeah, okay. yeah. I've had a couple of Fender bases that were American made. That I, if I were smarter, I wouldn't have sold off ever. Oh yeah. So, but hey. was it like a t- just standard four string? Yeah, or yeah. you did like six string Fender jazz bass? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when I was playing bass, five string was still. Uh, I think pretty much unheard of. Brand new, fairly brand new. Yeah. I mean, fretless was like outside the box. Yeah. So Jaco Pasturi is people like that. But did you always play music or did you start late? 
Uh, no, I started at age 12. Okay. Yeah. So I've been playing guitar off and on for 50 plus years. So. You still play it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. No, I have uh, several guitars at home, uh, several acoustic guitars that are all tuned differently because I've always liked open tunings. And the more that I've learned them, uh, the more I love them. Okay. So yeah. I have an electric guitar that I'm learning blues for the past 15 years. That something I can bend and screech. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So how many do you, do you have? Like like more than multiple acoustic guitars. I have four acoustic guitars and one electric and one on loan somewhere. So. <laughs> somewhere on loan. <laughs> yeah, kind of kind of an adopted right. son. That I said, you really want to learn here. Take this one. Don't give it back till you learn how to play it. What kind of what kind of music did you listen to when you were growing up? I mean, now you you have you kind of were. Well, I was in bands, so yeah. we did a lot of Crosby, Stills, Nash, um, Birds. Okay, that whole kind of uh, country folk, country folk, but a little bit. Yeah, Grateful Dead. I mean, I was hooked on the Grateful Dead in junior high. We discovered an album in like we had um, GM Fields, which was yep. like Kmart here. Yes. So we found a Grateful Dead album, and well, I, 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 as much as I like movies, I like music because when, we, when I was growing up, we didn't have a TV. Yeah, same here. And, and yeah. you didn't have a TV. we had radio until and, I was ten. Yeah, I had the radio in my parents' records, so yeah. a lot of the '60s, '70s stuff I was saturated with as a kid, <laughs> and I just and eventually you progress. So that's what yeah, I still listen to that stuff. I don't listen to new stuff. I still kind of listen to like '70s and '60s stuff a little uh, bit. I do occasion, yeah. but I love all the new stuff. I mean, I get mad at Joe Walsh. Uh, from James Gang and Blackstorm. Yeah. Yeah. He he decries the current music scene because hey, everybody's got synthesizers, all programmed. It's like, no, there are a lot of people out there that are playing music, right. playing guitars, playing fiddles, playing whatever. There's some awesome bands out there. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of them. Uh, the one I like really that's local, that's from Minnesota, that's kind of under, not really mainstream, but Lake Street Dive. I really oh, do. I didn't know they were Minnesota. Yeah. Oh, yeah, huh? Yeah. They've, keep been, they've been doing... No, they're great. And the, the girl that sings... I know. Oh, she's phenomenal. She's got a... She had a jazz group. Yes. And I think that was prior or during, because she had done another album that was basically her jazz stuff. Yeah. Oh, God. She's incredible. Do you still go to shows? Do you go to concerts? You no, know, not really. Not no? really. No. I was spoiled through most of my life because I was a backstage guy. Okay. So I could come in and have to fight the crowds and yeah. you know, getting hit in the head with pizza cardboards. <laughs> no, 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 no. So yeah, I haven't, I can't remember when I've been to a concert last. Clubs on rare occasions, if I know right. the people. Yeah. But a concert, no, not really. Well, I, with music, do you see like a, a similarity to music and movies, like working together and all that? Like a concert? Sure, now more than ever. Really? I mean, because so many um, music video directors have become film directors. Yeah. And the crossovers between long-form music videos and, I mean, you can take uh, Beyonce, her current. She's pushing that trend probably more than anybody, breaking the envelope. But I've seen more and more people doing very cinematic music videos. It's not just they're telling stories. Right, yeah. So, so I see a huge crossover. Yeah. Now, when did you start doing the acting? Uh, age 10. Okay, so even before music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I started in community theater. 
Um, my mom just saw the way I acted out at school, and <laughs> she had a feeling. And so, yeah, I took to it like a dog takes to anybody's food that's laying around. <laughs> I noticed that a lot of it's just not a. Not a it's just a, a lot of. It happens when I interview a lot of actors, actresses. They just have this notion they can't sit still. They just like to be out. Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of the same kind. Of, it's not a correlation, I would say, or causation. Is just I think you have the same trait. Most people, a lot of acting, just like to be out there, love to be out there. Yeah, and it's it's a great outlet um, in some ways because I describe acting, because I coach also, and I'll describe acting as creative schizophrenia. Really? I never heard that phrase. So it's, that's my own. <laughs> <laughs> we'll trademark it by the end. <laughs> Between that one and fingerature. I'm trying to trademark fingerature. All those that? little screens you sign with your finger. Yes. Yeah. We call that finger fingerture. <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought about it, right? Yeah. I know, I've been working on that for yeah. a couple of years. Every time I go to a window place, I go, fingerture. I always trump up kids with, with the phrase, why is the word dictionary in the dictionary? And they'll sit there like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> if you didn't know what it is. Right. Look it up. <laughs> if you didn't know how to spell it, it's on the cover. <laughs> but almost like schizophrenia. How did you phrase Creative it? schizophrenia. Okay. Because in, in many ways, you know, especially, well, whether it's film or stage, there are the people in your reality. Yeah. And then there are the shadow people beyond that. I mean, if you talk to schizophrenics, they'll talk about shadow people and their reality. And that really is kind of our reality as actors. Whether you're on stage, where you have people next to you, yeah. whether you're in front of the camera, there are people there, and the crew people just kind of shift into the shadows. And if you are really in the moment as an actor, that's what happens. The crew becomes the shadow. Yeah, group. there's yeah. just like this dissolve, this kind of haze that happens beyond the, the reality of the people in your world, and then there are the shadow people out there, crew and people sitting in Video Village or whatever it is. Yeah, and so at the end of when somebody else cut, then you come back to your reality and you go, "Oh, oh yeah, yeah. you were there." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was fun when I took uh, film history in college that we were watching a movie, and it so happened that our instructor videotaped us watching it, and he goes, "This is the guys watching a movie. It's really weird. It's bizarre watching yourself watch a movie. It's hmm. almost like you're a, a robot." Did he individualize you or just as a group? No, just as a group. He had, it was back in the when we had camcorders. But, oh, okay. but he, he just he videotaped us watching the movie. And he goes, that's, think about how you're dialed into the movie. And that's how probably making a movie is. You're dialed and everything else, else around you is not really important or on your peripheral. Yeah. But it, it really was shocking to watch yourself watch a movie. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> you, you're almost, yeah, it was kind of creepy. Did yeah. you watch the full length movie? Or did he show you like... For a full hour, hour and a half. No, it was just like, like a quick scan okay. of the whole okay. of our whole lecture hall. Because I'd be curious, depending on the movie and what people's faces are doing. And, yeah, because yeah. supposedly the mind perceives images like on television and movies as a reality on some level. Yep. Yeah. So it becomes a memory for you. So it's just yeah. that that reality that's a step off a of reality. I don't. So. Think, I remember movies far better than my own personal memories. I don't know. Maybe it's because emphasis, but yeah. yeah. But if somebody kicks off a movie, I can relate it to something of my year or something like that, or oh, I came out this year and I was doing this and this. Because huh. for me, I'm often for somebody who loves movies, I can't remember a lot of the stuff. I don't remember characters. I mean, my daughter will kick out lines uh, <laughs> yes. from the whole thing and know everybody's characters' names, and I'm like. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> even my favorite movies so. right that's I'm a more I think I'm more in tune with 
your daughter, yeah, I could just spit out lines of Nelson. It's just, but she's probably more your age. I mean, she's 32, right. so. Yeah. Do you remember what you did for your first acting in a date? Oh, 10? yeah. Rumble Stiltskin. <laughs> <laughs> I was the Miller. Oh, you were the <laughs> And it was a musical. So and, you were you dressed as a Miller? Like oh, the yeah, with eight? a vest. And oh, my, my God. mom made the big puffy sleeves and wow. shorts. And, wow. And it's funny, the big thing I remembered was it was a musical, and I couldn't sing it because it was in a key that was too low for me. Okay. But my voice changed during the course of, and my low voice was lower by the time. Shut up, really? Yeah, my voice what? changed really early. But then it didn't crack. I mean, I didn't crack until I was 18 or 19. You know, that voice change thing? Yeah. That didn't happen until I was in the Navy, so I'd be the only guy going, <laughs> oh, no. here, I, <clears throat> here. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, and I'm sure everybody's just looking, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, here's the biggest guy. And no, you Mr. Douglas, you know. <laughs> Pat Haynes of TV. But yeah, my voice changed, so by the time I, I was speaking the part with this low voice, so. And so after Rumpelstiltskin, you probably just had a great response for it. You, like, you got cooked and you wanted to keep yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. No, I got uh, the head of the theater company, George Ballas, who started the theater company, uh, wanted me to wanted to invite me into adult theater because I was a big kid. Sure. I mean, by the time I was 12, I was one. So it was really out of place for the kids' theater. Okay, yeah. So he brought me in, and I was being mechanical roles in Shakespeare and odd roles, and then high school theater and community theater. Wherever I was stationed in the Navy, I'd go out and do community theater. And oh, so you did com- so, and in the Navy, too, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what would happen in the Navy? Like, just like a, would they have like a, a flyer or something, like if you want to do something? or No, say I, I was stationed in Corpus Christi for a year. Okay. And so there were local community theater companies. Oh, there. I get it now, yeah. So then i go out and do theater companies or sitting with bands or, you know, yeah. it was just whatever I could do to get away from that. <laughs> Did you, when, how long were you in the Navy? Um, right, okay. <laughs> that long, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. I was in long yeah. enough and I had my benefits and I got GI Bill and all that stuff, but yeah, it was not what they had promised me. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. So I kind of rebelled against. Yeah, because it was back in the day when they could promise you anything, and I wanted to be a photographer's maid. I passed the test for photographic intelligence or a photographer's maid. Okay, and I ended up being a teletypist. It's like mm. yeah, what? Yeah, what? So, right. so they didn't fulfill their part of the bargain. Right. So we had a little. Yeah. Do, you still, do you have a boat? Do you still go out? Um, um, no, I've been out of boat world until moving here moved here two and a half years ago okay and now i'm like i gotta have a boat i bought, <laughs> I bought a canoe okay all right yeah so i want to i want a boat i've learned to fish i haven't fished since i was 12 11 or 12 so now i love fishing you like you just started up again huh yeah, yeah yeah since i moved here and we live right along the the river so the mississippi river's less than a block from my house oh really so the boat ramps at the end of my street and Wow. Well, you just took a little trip because we're we're about mm, about half a mile away from the river right now. But you're 22 miles away from me. <laughs> 22 miles away. From me. I could have come yeah. here on my boat. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, was, right where Mississippi is, there's islands um, in the in the river, and supposedly the myth is that's where our drop off was for prohibition times. Oh. It was that islands of this station that people would pick up and drop off and barrier you know, there was a drop-off right, point right. that was the that's the rumor that always around South St. Paul that was the drop-off point well my wife who grew up in mine at North Dakota her 
uh, grandpa had a cab company, and supposedly the rumor in the family is that that cab company was tied to deliveries and drop-offs. Ah, so a delivery service on the side, too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, North Dakota's right up there at Canada, so you can get the stuff up there and bring it down. Yeah. Well, yeah, you want to go through there, not Montana. That's no, just... No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so with the whole acting you really haven't really stopped you've ever since you started really well i had some slow years i know that um i worked my way up the east coast at Summerstock in florida okay uh, did some theater in maryland moving up and saving up money to be in a, a company in philadelphia uh, people's light and theater company that had grants that they could hire actors for okay and i think we get a grant for one actor split it in half and hire two actors so there'd be two of us working for 35 bucks a week and living in a farmhouse. And then I moved from there. I got tired of the politics of professional theater is really political, and I had never realized that before. Okay. So I moved right. west and ended up in Colorado and did theater in Colorado, but ended up in professional theater there, equity theater, and yeah, it's political. And now you're here, okay. Yeah, I yeah. became a working actor in Denver where I had commercials and films and doing theater and I got my union cards, and I went, I'm ready for L.A. So we moved to L.A. All right, yeah. And uh, my career stopped. <laughs> so, yeah, it kind of died. Did some coaching, did a couple of commercial jobs, but, yeah, then just went into kind of, I'd been a shooter, a video shooter. Okay. So I shot video. I ended up producing, directing. I'd done a little bit of that in Denver as well. So for the 20-odd years in Denver, I produced and directed, and, then I shifted in because I launched. I was part of launch team for three different cable networks. Oh, and you talk about politics. Yeah, yeah, cable yeah. networks, and I was on low tier cable networks. The last one was the International Channel. So we had, you know, I think we had at that time thirty different languages on the channel, but it was as cutthroat as HBO or Showtime. Or so one day I just went, I'm out. Yeah. Next day a buddy of mine called me. I said, come on, Bruce, come work on the crew on this film. I'll get you in the union, and we'll go from there. So I stayed as a union set dresser and props assistant for several years. Did you like doing it? Something that's kind of, is it kind of a different avenue of acting? It's is a it? different avenue in that you get to, I mean, you're around filmmaking and television making all day. Yeah. So you get an opportunity to talk to writers, talk to actors, and I had amazing uh, actors. I, I worked on five seasons of Grey's Anatomy. So when you think about all the actors on that show and then all the guest actors, and most of those people were just great to talk to. I mean, I could pull people aside and say, what about this? Or how did you do this? Or what made you do this? Or in that scene, why were you doing this? And so many people are so willing to talk about it. That's and nice. then you could watch them do it. So it was like, those are the best acting lessons in the world. Right, so, being on set, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I was on set a lot, so I mean, I, a lot of the shows. I'm an on set. I was known as an on set dresser, but I would work off set a lot of times. But I would get hired as a day player between seasons, and people call me up. So I had a good, good run of doing all kinds of stuff and meeting all kinds of people. So those were my, my great lessons. Well, how long what, when you were on the Grace? How long was that? For five? Uh, five seasons. I was five on the seasons. pilot, and then five seasons of. And who among us knew it was going to be 15 seasons? I didn't. <laughs> I don't think anybody would, right? Yeah. 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 It's just nice to have a 
get out there, right? And yeah. Especially when you do uh, sitcoms, at any moment you can be canceled, right? right? You're always well. Any any TV show, you never yeah, know. You never. I know. mean, Grey's was unusual because we sold to 35 countries based on the pilot, so we knew that this show was going to go for a while. Okay, but, but who knew it was going to go? Like that? <laughs> so, it was funny. One of my last jobs, I day played over at Gray's before I moved out here. So was it? Is it? That's in in L.A. Yeah, it's yeah, in yeah. filmed in L.A. Okay, yeah, okay. And Prospect then, Studios. Most of the studio stuff is in L.A., right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have a location. They have a VA hospital that is the Seattle Grace Hospital, and that's you know. 15 miles from there but they basically it's all studio they've got like five studios with multi-tiered multi-layer sets for the hospital and wow it's pretty awesome yeah that'd be pretty cool yeah uh what did you, and what did you do after grace um gosh where did i go from there um i can't remember if i did monk before that or after i mean it was i did so many different shows that i would do a right. season or two season uh cougar town i did Four seasons of Cougar Town. I did um, bits and pieces on Grounded for Life. I did season of Grounded for Life. I, and then as and your job is just on site set, right? Yeah. And so if they need for some of them, sometimes I was what's um, called the swing gang. So we come in before and dress all the sets. Okay. And then when they're done, we undress them and take all the stuff back to the prop houses. Oh. So. All right. I think, okay. Yeah. And how, you have a, like a crew that works with you or like that? Uh, I worked with, so there's a lead man, and he's in charge of that crew, the Sway Gang. And I had a lead man that worked for seven years. I had another lead man that worked for five years. Uh, another lead man that worked for two years because I did that so raven for a couple of years. Um, wow. Yeah, so I just was all over. And then I would day play. <laughs> okay. Feature films or whatever. So. And, not, and not only you're still acting, but you you mentioned many times you are coaching. Yeah. So if anybody's interested, how would they, you know, how would you, do you do private, like private tutors or you do like a school? Um, a private. Okay. And I tend to approach people that I work with. Sure. It's not like I advertise or, um, yeah. So if I work with somebody that they look like they have the good instincts, but maybe don't have the training, I'll say, how would you feel about because the thing is, I'll say, we'll do two sessions together. Sure. If you think something's happening and we can do this, yeah. we'll go forward. If not, we'll you both walk away. And then from then on, I charge. So. Yeah. Do you mostly stress, like, the differences between stage and TV or something? Like no, it's really about character development and script analysis. Okay. It's like a big thing that a lot of people I know that don't have acting training is they don't think about... When you come in to do an audition, especially, or a scene, uh, you could cast in a student film or independent film. So here's your scene. What happened before that scene? Where are you coming from? What happened yeah. leading into this that may still be in your mind? You know, you may have been stopped by a cop for a ticket. You may have gotten a phone call that said you're breaking up, you know, with somebody. And that, how does that color what you're doing in the scene? And you're always going somewhere afterwards, so you may be thinking about where are you going from? Where you going after that? Yeah. So just creating just that mini history of who am I, and what do I want? What do I want to do now? Because I'm bringing in all this other stuff. What do I want to do afterwards, based on what I've had to do today? Yeah. So, are you still comfortable doing auditions? Oh, I love auditioning. Do you do? Yeah. I audition. I did six auditions today. No kidding. So I did three video auditions and three voiceover auditions. 
are. So, yeah. I mean, I... It's easier now with the technology. Now you can just email your... Uh, yeah, in a way, I miss the, the touch. Meeting people. I love meeting people. I do, too. That's why I so, kind of want to start the podcast is yeah. I like meeting people and talking. Yeah. And I think that's kind of missing. It's impersonal, but, I mean, it's working. So I, yeah. I managed to get a lot of work and even some things that I didn't know I was going to get. So. I heard a lot of people, like a lot of auditions are on Skype, too, now that people will call them up or yeah. Yeah. stuff. That is. No, I had to do a callback, a couple of callbacks. One when my wife and I were in Colorado with a director in Tennessee. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> And I had to read with a casting director who was terrible. <laughs> and I kept wanting to say, can I hand the script to my wife and let her read me? And so. So, I mean, you still like doing auditions. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it oh, should fine. not feel like work. It shouldn't really, right? Exactly. It's fine. If it feels like work, then I always tell when I, because I used to officiate football for many years, for 20 years. And I even tell people that officiate, if it feels like work, don't do it. Yeah, yeah. You're going to burn yourself out. You don't have to do this many. I do it because I love doing it. I love being out here in the rain with the kids playing <laughs> football. And Yeah. And when it, not, when it becomes work, then it was time to stop. And it became work. Eventually, after 20 years, it became work. Right. And I said, you know what? 20 years of anything is <laughs> really a long time. No, and I know a lot of people that I worked with in L.A. that we all started together, you know, 30 years prior. Right. By the end of 30 years, it's like nobody the art was gone you know it was yeah. like it became a job it became a grind it became especially as more and more uh younger producers came in that didn't know the business that would tell you how to do right your job and, right it's always yeah. that generational thing of yeah. i've learned so much when, yeah because yeah. when i was producing i was uh, at the international channel i had accountants that were telling me well you can do this but you can do it for ten thousand less and I go, I low budget. I'm, I, I've done low budget all my life. <laughs> this is the bare minimum. You cut 10000 out of that, and what we're, I have? we're not going to get anything. Good, yeah. fast, cheap, pick two. That whole thing. Good, yeah. fast, cheap, pick two, because that's how we're going to do it. I'm going to take six months to do it, yeah. or we're going to do it on your time frame, and it's going to cost you. So, so. Um, yeah, I, I got a kick out of it because you mentioned that you worked on Grey's Anatomy, but you also, and recently you put up on your Instagram, you played a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I played, God, doctors have been, in the past month, I think I've done three doctors. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, it, I, I have to say, you do look. Like, oh, I, I, I mean. <laughs> I was shooting this film in Savannah, and I was renting a car. Yeah. So I could just run around. And they go, as I'm checking out, they go, we were wondering, are you a doctor? <laughs> and I, the classic line was, no, but I play one on television. <laughs> and they laughed, and I, and I got up my Instagram picture, and they went, oh, <laughs> he's not kidding. My wonderful story is I, I was in college, and my car broke down, and I needed a car, and it just happened I was going to borrow my grandfather's car. Well, my grandfather had a Cadillac DeVille, oh. brand new. And my part-time job, I was doing fine arts, and I just happened from contacts would wear hospital scrubs when you paint because you get messy, right? You don't want to mess up your right. clothes, yeah. you know, right. especially when you're art student. So I also worked out there. And then the 90s, when you worked uh, at the on campus at the U, they would give you a pager. <laughs> this is, I'm dating myself, for <laughs> location. So here I am uh, in my early 20s driving a brand new Cadillac. We're in hospital scrubs and a pager. <laughs> I got the mess, biggest 
Ago looks. Oh. <laughs> Thank God there wasn't an accident. No, right. Hey, but hey, come here. Yeah. Right. Is there a doctor in there? <laughs> I didn't put it together. I go, oh my God, they probably think I'm a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and the comical thing is, not only you played a doctor, but you said you also played a patient. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of- No, it's funny, Medtronic. I was a patient in Chicago and I was a, no, I was a doctor in Chicago and patient here. So, and it's funny, even on the shooter in Chicago, they were like, so are you really a doctor? <laughs> and I went, mm-hmm. She did like an internet printout of a, like a quick doctorate and right, right. just have a certificate in your wallet just in case. <laughs> so when you do theater, is it a little more, do you have a little more different routine than act than TV? You know, I haven't done theater since I was 35. Okay. 36. I really, I had a couple of bad experiences in Los Angeles doing theater there. It's equity waiver, and I found it to be, for me, um, like the worst community theater I could have done. Okay. So I just went, no, no, not anymore. Not anymore. So, and I prefer, I prefer film. I mean, I've always loved the camera work. The ability to be this close. Yeah. And, And if I need to talk to you like this. You know, that's it. I don't know that I really like doing this sort of thing for a house. You know, you work regional theater and it's 750 yeah. household and sometimes there's a balcony and you gotta get, but I know even the Guthrie now, Mike's their stage. Right, so, yes. So, yeah. So maybe those days are gone. When they all, and where the EP, earpiece and all that stuff. Yeah. Do you still go to theaters? I do. Okay. But not that often, yeah, not that often. Okay. I'm I'm kind of a hermit in a way. We don't go out. We go to movies. Sure. But otherwise, I, you know, I stay home and I uh, have grandson lives with us and so I play with him and play my guitars and <laughs> and now because I have so many things going on audition-wise, some reading scripts and trying to prep for the next day, okay, what auditions can I do? My wife has a home office that we share, so I can't always because there are phone calls and stuff. I can't always do was off to set up and lighting and all that stuff so yeah and now that spring is here and the dogs are barking and <laughs> yeah that might do yeah, yeah. so yeah. and birds are chirping so my audience my auditions are a little different a little okay. more atmospheric so yeah so I, I keep busy and then i like to hike and go down by the river and sit and fish when the weather's good park on a rock and well, what kind of fish do you like um, I know all fishermen have a preference. Eating though. fish. Eating fish. <laughs> <laughs> I would say bass. I mean, sure. big mouth bass. So yeah. Far as my That's favorite. a sporty kind of a thing, right? Yeah. yeah. And I haven't really caught any muskies yet. I haven't caught any, what's the big fish that everybody eats here? Northerns? No, not northerns. Sure. They're a bigger fish. I know in Malak Lake, it got to throw them back. Um, I'm going fishing with my father-in-law in Canada in June, okay. where we'll catch these big. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm learning. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to learn. Right, that's yeah. my phrase. <laughs> so, uh, do you remember what kind of like one of the some of the movies that caught you that really want to be part of movies? You remember the first one that really got your attention? Um, Wizard of Oz. Really? Still my number one favorite movie. Did you get to see it as a kid in a theater, or was it just No, on? always on TV. It was always on TV. But I got to see it in a theater four years ago. Really? They released a remastered 3D version of the movie. Wow. Oh, oh my God. 
I was like a little kid in the in the theater. Right. There were probably five of us there, but it was an IMAX theater, 3D, and I was just sometimes in tears because it was so beautiful. Even the black and white in 3D yeah. just had so much depth to it. And with that kind of sound system, the songs were just like, oh my God, when you got to Munchkin Land, it's like, ha, ha, ha. I know, the pop, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, just, I, I just recently learned from Empire Movie Magazine how they did the trick of from black and white to color was simply the paint of the interior that charky brown, so it was a it was a stand in, not was, in colorizing, but in actual filmmaking. Actually, and yeah, actual the whole set was that color, huh. and her dress was that color, that brownish color. So it was in color, but they made it look like in black and white. So when she opened the door, that was a stand in. It wasn't Dorothy, so she opened the door uh, and she went out of frame. Then Dorothy went back. So it was, Steps in. it was all that movie. It was like, how do they get it from black and white to color? It was well, it always was in color. They just changed the whole set to right. make it look like it was in black and white, and it had a double that huh. had the whole completely dyed her hair that film look, film chalky right. look. <laughs> but it's magnificent movie magic. It just looks just yeah, it is. Yeah. And there's so many stories where I have a book of all kinds of trivia tied to the the movie they're just amazing <laughs> so like the professor professor marvel his coat they had a, a costume designer design his coat okay and the director looked at it and went no oh, that's crap just go go to a thrift store and go find some coats so they went out and they found a coat brought it back perfect he loved it inside name was stitched formerly owned by frank l Baum. <laughs> that's no way <laughs> i know it's like stories like that are like oh right. my god yeah <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take a little break, Bruce. And we'll okay. come back. We'll talk more about movies and all that good stuff. All right. Hey, Slackers. I'm Matt. And I'm Jesse. We host American Slacker, the show that keeps you updated on all of the weirdest news around the globe, along with what's going on in the world of Xbox, music and movie suggestions, and fun interactive games. Every other week, we bring on interesting guests from all walks of life. From filmmakers to musicians, funeral directors to small business owners, and even Jeff Goldblum. What? No. We never got Goldblum, man. Oh, a man can dream, can't he? American Slacker Podcast. New episodes every Wednesday. Available on Spotify, iTunes, and all of your smart devices. Or anywhere else, you know, you might happen to cop a podcast. They're downloading MP3s, not buying an eighth. I'm shutting this shit down. That's it. There you go. So I was just talking about it on the break. I used to watch Perry Mason, and I don't. Did you like detective shows? Some of that kind of the. Um, I watched them, but it didn't really gravitate to you. No, not really. No, was there Beverly Hillbillies? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Green Acres is a place. <laughs> I think my mom was uh, partial to the Petticoat Junction. Uh, yeah, still, yeah. But you, did you watch a lot? You didn't watch a lot of TV. Not a lot. No, I was in no. rock and roll bands, so I spent a lot of time in the evenings rehearsing. 
So we're rehearsing or playing out of town. or I mean, Star Trek, yes. Yeah. Outer Limits, yes. I mean, those were my kind of shows. So I've always been a sci-fi kind of guy. So Did you see all the Star Treks in theater? Were you kind of like that? Liked, liked them more or were you just kind of a... F- I went, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I will still go. You're just a, a fan, yeah. not really... <clears throat> not a fanatic. Not a fanatic. No, I don't have... Well, I do have a couple of figurines. I have... Sure. Uh, uh, Spock. I actually have a couple of Christmas ornaments. No kidding. Spock sitting in a console and Captain Kirk standing there looking very muscular and right, yeah. good hairpiece. I like how his shirt always had to rip. <laughs> <laughs> and I always loved how everybody, when they get up, it's like, Oh, yeah, it's always... Yeah, the, the thing, adjust yeah, the shirt. Adjust the shirt. Especially right. Next Generation. I probably noticed it more there. Oh, so, yeah. You, John Luke Picard always had to yeah. make sure his... All of them. They would all stand up and... <laughs> Little, little tuck <laughs> and how they got into their uniforms because the zipper was in the back and I don't know if you've ever worn a zipper jumpsuit I haven't but no. I can't imagine trying to zip your own clothes a wetsuit you had a string on it I've worn wetsuits so yeah you can pull those up and down but no string on the Star Trek uniform there's a classic uh, video of Nimoy and Shatner they're on stage together just reminiscing it happened about early 90s and somebody asked Leonard, do you guys still get along? And Leonard goes, well, he stole my bicycle. I'm still mad about it. And they talk about it when they're shooting the TV show Star Trek, how Leonard Nimoy had a bicycle because he had so much time in the sun before the makeup started to melt or its ears come off. So he rode his bike to lunch. <laughs> and he'd be the first one there and get all the good stuff. Well, that upset William Shatner. So when it was lunchtime, he put Leonard Nimoy's bicycle in in his own car <laughs> stole his bike because <laughs> he <laughs> so many jerk stories Shatner. god the open you know anger between the staff or cast yeah. toward him oh he had a show called raw nerve i don't know if you ever saw it oh the interview one right yeah, yeah. yeah when he sat down to interview people yeah and some a couple of times he had people from Star Trek on that just unloaded, and I was like, "Ooh, <laughs> yes!" But it was perfect for Raw Nerve. I mean, he yeah. was willing to go there. So, did you remember T.J. Hooker? That yeah. was big. Yeah, I mean, I didn't watch it. No, I don't think anybody <clears throat> did. But it was just it was just the. But I remember talking to George Takei. We were at an event backstage, and I said, "So, how's it working on the Star Trek with?" Him directing. He goes, it's like T.J. Hooker in space. <laughs> <laughs> now, I get, now okay. I'm going to see that. That sums it up right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. So, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what did, did you, you didn't watch a lot? I noticed a lot of film actors don't watch a lot of TV, though. That, that's kind of what I've noticed, too, that they like actually just watching movies. Yeah. 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 So now in this era... With Netflix and uh, Amazon and all that stuff, it's like, yeah, I'm hooked. I, I have like three series working that. Yeah. So. Right, the evolution of television. It looks like a movie yeah. when you watch some of these shows nowadays. That they actually look. Why like, would you watch network television anymore? Commercials and. Yeah. Production values and cheesy scripts. Well, you remember like an actor doing TV it was almost like. You yeah. could never go oh, to movies. Right. Now it's almost interchangeable. Yeah, it's a yeah, different. Yeah. It's interchangeable. And it's well, the money's there now. So, right? Yeah, yeah. So, do you do any any writings for any stuff, or do you just not really? Um, no, I, I. There was a time where I was field producing and I was writing okay. the copy for that. Um, there was a period where I was working with people to put together packages, 
So I was uh, doing budgets and doing script analysis and sometimes rewriting scripts for people. It's like, let's touch up here, let's touch up there. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of scripts that I worked with a writer on. We worked on for 10 years until we... and she was going to give me the rights to that script and it's a great script and we pitched it to some really good people that said you know Bruce because I want to direct it and they said well go direct something come back because it's a great script Uh, she was going to give me the rights she never did so I still carried around and it's like it's the perfect Minnesota film um, as far as the cast because it's got like four or five generations of family in it and it's all about an older uh, dad dad great granddad granddad who wants to end his own life but not by but just by willing it into what's considered maha samadhi right okay the hindu yeah, yeah. stuff so yeah it's uh, and it was based on a book that i'd read called life's finishing school by this woman in seattle who actually went into a center and just meditated herself into her own death so we built we had a short script and then we built a feature script and we worked on that for tweak and tweak and tweak and it's really awesome script but It'll never get done. <laughs> well, you can think of some other ways that you can repackage or something like that, or you can maybe, yeah. Or no, anything like based on, I mean, because I was the seed of the idea, in theory, yeah. I should be able to go with it, but yeah. I, you know, out of respect for the, the writer. Do you think about just plain old, just writing it like a book? Um, no, I would want to do a screenplay. You want to do like a I mean, screenplay? There's a book that I work on piece by piece called Addicted to the Possibility. That kind of comes out of living in L.A. and watching people in Vegas. Because L.A. is full of people who are addicted to possibility. Oh, I have a... It's called anticipation. Oh, yeah. I think people are... But addicted to possibility is more yeah. about... So you get a TV show. Sure. As an actor. Or you get an album as a musician. You get a record company. You get, you know, as a production designer, you get a film that goes big. So then you're like, oh, this is it. I'm on track. Yeah. And then maybe it's not 10 years, you know, till something else hits. So you're always waiting on that next hit, like the people that sit in front of the gambling machines in Vegas, that they go, yeah, I won $200. Yeah. I won $1,000. I'm going to keep going at this if I have to spend $50,000 to win another 1000 So it's that addicted to the possibility yeah, that that's... drives so many people. And I'm sure it's not just in the entertainment business. I'm sure corporate is full of people that are... Or your investment firms waiting for the or next... Or new tech. Yeah. Or all the tech people that are... I mean, I look at all the robot technologies that are out there and all the medical technologies that are out there, and it's, it's, it's crazy. It's wild. Yeah, you can notice some people, especially creative people, that are waiting for the next thing, right? There's, yeah. It's not so much activity of just making something. It's the reward that they're waiting for to, in return from getting. Right. Right. It's not so much I want to create something, I want to create a story, I have it out there. It's the, the waiting for the reward for it have it out there yeah yeah and that can be toxic almost oh yeah it is toxic yeah for some people and that's why i think people commit suicide and why people are drug addicts or alcoholics or sex addicts or whatever your addiction is right well you can read kirk wabain's suicide letter and he's like it's not fun anymore i mean pretty much you phrase it i go on stage and it's just i don't have what I used to when I did it before. I don't. And they made him the spokesman for a generation. Yes. He had to carry that weight on top of it too. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's crazy business. Well, how do you think how, I, everybody wants to be successful? And how do you, how do you kind of turn that off? I mean, how do you get from not just an, the anticipation or the possibility? How do you just be maintain the cre- creativity? Meditation. I think, really? 
I mean, that's what I think. Because yeah. it, it centers you, and then it, you're living in the moment. You're not living in what could be yeah, or what yeah. has been. You're, you're more in the moment. And that's really the key to life, you know, being in the moment. I, I, I am guilty of that because I'm an avid chess player. So I'm always thinking three moves ahead, and I dip it into my personal life, right? I'm always anticipating what I, what's happening the next three hours, the next three days, and stuff like that. And I forget that, what about today? Right. Just worry about today. I mean, having a plan is okay. Right, yeah. You know? Yeah. And so that same thing as, as a chess player, having a plan, but when that plan gets altered, it doesn't destroy you. It's like, no. okay, I go into what's next. What do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> Adapt, adapt. <laughs> Which you have to do if you're a good freshman, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Or yes, anything. Or anything, yeah. Well, is it easier, do you think, adapting since you've traveled so much? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've because I've, yeah, I've traveled, I've done so many things, I have so many interests, you know, because I've been an archer, I train martial arts, I play guitar, I've yeah. hitchhiked back and forth across this country, I've, you know, worked with... Amazing people and people that just pulled me down with them for a while. <laughs> yes. So, and that the, the fact that I've uh, been practicing a meditation for forty-four years—that's um, kind of my rock. Is I always have that to come back to. So, that no matter how crazy things get, I can take one part of my day, two parts of my day, and just settle in. And nice. okay, we start over. Yeah. So that's that helps. Is it easier now to get into meditation after so many practices? Oh, it was pretty easy. I, I gave it a year. I wanted, like everything, and I, I told my daughter this same thing when she was doing sports or whatever. Give it a year. Let it settle in. If after a year you don't like it, you don't want to do it, let it go. So that's how I did with meditation. So after the year, I found I could meditate on planes, buses, in cars. didn't matter. Okay. So it just became a part of me. Nice. So now it's, yeah, I can do anywhere. The only problem now is because I have a lot of time, I meditate for an hour at a time. Sure. So it's like. Sure, right. <laughs> yes. I noticed that as I get older, that time kind of speeds up. All of a sudden, now we're in spring. What happened? I thought we were just in winter. Now we're. We were just in winter. <laughs> yeah, we're just in the winter. But hey, now we're going to spring. Yeah. So do you do. When you watch movies, do you. Can you just re enjoy them or do you sit and you notice that you critique them? Um, for the most part, unless it's a bad movie, I'm carried along with it. Okay. I mean, yeah. I thought of that recently because I went to see Alita, um, Battle Angel. Yeah, did you? And I watched it the first time just to watch it, and I was taken in. I mean, I loved that movie. So I went back again the second time to watch the details of the CGI of people's faces. When are people CGI'd into the scene, and when is it real people? Uh, and I'll still go back again because I thought it was a brilliant film, really great filmmaking and really good acting for what the film was yeah so and I and I would love seeing the interview with the actress that played Alita where she said yeah I looked at myself and even though it's you know a CGI creation it has all my little quirks and stuff so they left me in there so they didn't just replace me with some computer generated image they left me as this (laughs) yeah so so that was cool is this is that something you think about when you do voiceover that they want a, a little piece of of you in the performance, even though it's your voice? Um, yeah, I think more and more. There was a time where I did voiceovers, and they were a lot like this. It began, I came yeah. out of radio because I did radio work in the seventies, also. Okay, um, but more and more, 
I worked with a company here and we coached voice actors. And one of the things that we tried to encourage was find you in there. Be you first and then be what they want as, okay. the, as the client wants. So to be able to sit down and read something the way I would talk is kind of the key. And then if they want me to punch or push or, you know, make it slower, make it faster. Yeah. And from yeah. there on. So, or character voices. Because I'm doing a lot of character voices this year. So. Really? It, it, like for, like... For commercials or podcasts, just podcasts, um, okay. Yeah, I've done three different podcasts where it's everything from like this sort of voice to, <laughs> to doing this sort of guy. No, no, you know, so full range of play. Do you like? I mean, voiceovers can to be like sketch comedies and stuff like that, right? For something, like, yeah, sketch comedies or drama or you know, science fiction, Earth Under Gold. This thing that I did where. Uh, a bird-like species has taken over the Earth, and they've relegated humans to three segments on the planet. And of course, we revolt and try and fight them back. So um, that was cool. I like cool idea. That is a cool idea, right? Because that's the nice thing about podcasts is some of them brought back the old-fashioned radios. Yeah, and I've always thought I was because we didn't have TV. Yeah. So I grew up with radio, and I. St- it's funny. I did a commercial job in Denver. And when I went to the office to sign the paperwork and get paid, I saw the radio that I grew up with. Because when we got TV, I got the family radio. (laughs) And there it was, sitting on the shelf. I mean, the only reason I knew it wasn't mine, because it didn't have my name carved in the back. (laughs) But I said, I'll forego my fee if you'll give me that radio. And he was like, really? I go, yeah. So I still have it, and i got to get it fitted for tubes and all that stuff. But yeah, old radio shows I would listen at night. Yeah. Out of Fayetteville, North Carolina, there were Clear Channel. I don't know if you know what Clear Channel stations were. Uh, probably like CCO or something like that, AM. Yeah, and WLS out of Chicago. There were like yeah. five stations in the nation that were clear. They were allowed to have this huge amount of power. Yeah, I think you could broadcast all over the country. Yeah, I think you so hear So I listened to one out of Fayetteville, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and listened to all these old radio shows. And, and I've always said that there's always going to be radio. Even if we have video... There's going to be voice communications in space, and there's going to be podcasts and messages coming in and out of space because yeah. it's low bit rate. So that stuff can travel easier and farther. So radio, yeah. it's podcasts. Yeah the, yeah. the one I like, and I'm, I'm going to advocate, it's called Pod Planet, and it's just short stories. It's a little narration, but they have sound effects, and it's just like the old-fashioned detective. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's always raining. It's always raining. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's always, no, I've worked yeah. on one out of Houston called Serenicide. And it's all very dark, and yeah. there's always a low tone that they put in underneath everything, and they'll come in with a synth and just kind of have a... Yeah. So it's always groaning, and then when they get to those dramatic moments, they pull out all the sound, and that's like... No, right, yeah, yeah it's the opposite. Yeah. Usually in movies, they turn up the, like, the eeriness, yeah. with it, and, but in radio, they turn it off. Yeah, right? and in yeah. theater. I learned that from a sound designer when I was at the Denver Center Theater Company, that he would build to a moment a sound design, because they had voice of the theater speakers underneath yeah. all the audience and so he would build the sound design until pull it all out and people wouldn't even know you were just so used to that undercurrent yeah. and then when it was out it's like <sighs> part of you, your breath just went away it's like <laughs> that was a huge lesson for me well i don't know if you were listening to where we talked about the movie third man uh, we critique but or we talked about orson wells and orson wells talked about the actor's role which is all the actors talk about a specific character and then that character comes out, and everyone's like, ooh. And he talked about, I did this theater show. It was called The Adventures of Mr. Wu. 
in the first two acts, everybody's talking about, ooh, what will Mr. Wu find out if he, we got to keep this away from Mr. Wu. It's just, you know, all these guys are talking right, about. Right. And in the end of the second act, the lights with all them, you know, cue it down in the background, backlit, out of bridge, will come out this guy and everybody goes, oh, it's Mr. Wu. And it cuts <laughs> and everybody, you have to, have you seen that guy that played Mr. Wu? Isn't he great? <laughs> yeah. I feel like I know so much about him. Right. <laughs> he just stood there, he's like, yeah. But yeah, Orson always called it the actor's role when they all talk about you and you build you up and you don't have to do very much. Yeah, you, you just show up. You just show <laughs> up and like, wow, that guy playing the sheriff is really mean. He just looked at Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, it's an amazing. Yeah. yeah, how how this stuff works? It is kind of is it's a I it's I appreciate more the magic now as a, an adult than seeing it because I mean as a kid you don't think about it you think of it as real happening right right and now you know now I think of how they, how do they do that it looks so convincing right <laughs> yeah a little movie magic right so yeah I watch these sci-fi things on YouTube called Dust. Okay. And it's a wide range of sci-fi shorts. And it's anything from big budgets to low budgets. Dust. D-U-S-T? Yeah, D-U-S-T. But some of them are like no budget, no tech, and they're just really great stories that are science fiction oriented. And now there's another channel called Alter that I just discovered, A-L-T-E-R, that they do these great little like horror stories, but it's so simple. It's just in the acting and in the camera. And it's not about big effects or people getting cut or out or you just see blood on somebody and you imagine what happened that got the blood on them. Yeah. You may see feet lying in a room out a doorway and then you see blood on this person and you know what happened. Right. Yeah. Even though you never saw it. Right. It was like like yeah. in psycho. You yeah. never really get to see anybody get stabbed, but yeah. your mind thinks you do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It fills in the pieces. It fills in the pieces. So. Right. Yes. Do you still watch Hitchcock stuff? Um, I can't say that I've sat down and watched. I mean, I, yeah. I have had enough in there over the years that yeah. it's kind of a memory that I can't erase. You know, it's like right, yeah, yeah. you can't download anything unless <laughs> no, you have a stroke or something. But, um, but, but I'll see stuff and go Hitchcock. Uh, it's a tribute to this filmmaker or that filmmaker. So, yeah, yeah. Do you ever like a real good director that you really like? Um, gosh, there are so many, and then some now that I don't even know who they are. I've never heard of them. There's somebody who will come out and out of the music video realm that suddenly is directing amazing yeah. films. Yeah, I mean, uh, Sucker Punch. Uh, he ended up doing um, the Trojan. Oh, Zach Schneider. Yeah, Zach Schneider. Yeah, and it's funny. I talked to Zach, and because I was working on uh, 300, the second version. And I said, Sucker Punch is so many people that I run into that they didn't get it. They didn't get the layers of what he was trying to say in that story. Uh, it's a brilliant film on some levels. I believe, yeah, it's a very... It's very CGI. And very CGI, very, very metaphorical. Yeah. Yeah. But there's like three layers of things going on there. And he looked at me like I was an idiot. Like, what do you mean nobody got it? I thought everybody got it. <laughs> sorry, Zach, but <laughs> didn't you read the critics? <laughs> It took. I think the the misnomer for Sucker Punch is you had to pay attention. You just yeah, couldn't. Yeah. You, you just, couldn't write it off. It people, just, I think, thought it was just going to be a popcorn action flick. Right. And I think they got kind of. The and mis- it is that. Right. But, but if you pay attention, it's a lot more than that. Right. Yeah. So, especially with the car door and everything. Yeah, and her and her dad and that whole 
yeah. her relationship to her yeah. dad that spreads throughout the storyline and her imagination and yeah. yeah, I thought it was great and visually phenomenal. Are you are willing to take risks? Watch movies? Do you really watch anything, or is it something like okay, maybe? Um, because yeah, I'll take chances on stuff. Sure, yeah. Because ever since um, Blade Runner, Blade Runner was panned when it came out. I think people forgot about that, yeah. And the critics just tore it apart. And I went, no, I think I want to see that. So I saw it in the theater, and it's my second favorite movie. Um, just brilliant. And that's where I, I compare Alita to Blade Runner. For as far as creating a world that makes sense, that there's nothing out of place there, and the people that populate that world and what goes on in it, it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think one of the... One of the things about Blade Runner is it starts quick. There's no narrow. There's a little bit of this is the year, does it? But it starts with an interrogation right away. But the original yeah. had the Philip Marlowe narration to it, which you can't find anymore. Yeah, that's oh yeah, oh yes, yes. Yeah, and I've tried to find it, and that was my favorite version. I really loved. I didn't care about the extended scene. I think it was in theaters, scenes. and then after theaters, it it took it out. Well, because I was in L.A. when they found. The original, the okay. director's cut. And then a year later, they found the director's cut. So we got to see it at the New Art. and But it didn't have the narration. And I guess really didn't like the narration. He didn't want that. The students, the studios pushed that on him. And I loved that because it made that detective noir thing right. with a Marlowe-esque talking his way through the thing. And I miss that. I miss that a lot. I think, yeah, I don't know why. Because it was always talked about with film fans of the... The, that version yeah. because when we were supposed to get the director's cut they thought everything was brought back together and then we, everybody got mad at the director's cut <laughs> they're like no yeah and who cares about the unicorn yeah and then the funny thing is I think Blade Runner was out at the same time the movie The Thing and that got criticized oh and that was brilliant right they're oh. both in the theaters at the same time and everybody shot both those down and now everybody applauds them right right (laughs) in hindsight yeah the thing actually thinking of the thing that was one of my favorite movies as a kid Invasion of the Body Snatchers and The Thing were two films from when I was in grade school that were like oh this is excellent that is Spartacus (laughs) (laughs) of course right yeah Kurt yeah Yeah. Yeah. 10 year old boy Spartacus was like yeah yeah that didn't look epic when you're a kid yeah and that whole cinemascope and all that just and all that fighting, yeah. So Gladiator, I mean, glad that that movie came out because I like that movie as well a lot. Yeah. So. And I think the Gladiator was one of that featured the first time that filter lens look of it looks furry, yellowish right. sometimes. They and, played with some of that. Yeah. Yeah. The first In his re- memory scenes and of yeah. his home and wife and child and yeah, they did a lot of cool stuff on that visually. Yeah. Yeah, do you, is there a specific genre you like? Do you stick to? Um, I mean, you cited fiction. I'm a big science fiction person. I, really? So, yeah, but I like a good dramatic film, a good low budget dramatic, where it's not a Hollywood ending, where it leaves you at the end, where everybody can go out and go, oh, but what about? And who was it? And how? Yeah. You know? Yeah, good so endings. Talk about it. Good endings are just wonderful. I think uh, I've mentioned many times that when I was a student in college, I went to see Usual Suspects by myself. Oh, yeah. And I immediately went back and saw it the next day. <laughs> it's just one of those movies that I want to go, what? Yeah, yeah. I missed out. On, I didn't catch something. Yeah. 
Same with three doors yeah. of the con, three days of the Condor. Which and they've just been re-showing that. Yeah, yes. and I sat through it twice because I was like, "This is amazing." I had no idea this is where things were heading as the movie started, so I had to sit and watch it again. And, three days of the Condor, yeah, yeah. with uh, Robert Redford, yeah. Yeah, yeah. which has great setup. I mean, his whole apartment and everything, how they rearranged it because he's supposed to be what nerdish, book nerdish, yeah, yeah, yeah. and how they rearranged it. This looks a little bit claustrophobic, but. Not overbearing, it's right. perfect great Raya. And here's a guy who's reading about stuff suddenly becomes the spy who came in from the cold. And- yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I like the ending of it. It didn't really, like everything wrapping up. It wasn't up resolved, it. right. Right, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So it could be a variety of interpretations, yeah. I think it's, I think everybody kind of missed out, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where TV, I think where TV lost everybody was the, the wrap it up in the seventh act thing. So, yeah. Well, we I talked about it with another guest that I, the, probably the reason I didn't like television back then is because there's no evolution with people. They pretty much just stay the same. Right. Arc. No arc of character. No. Yeah. Sam Malone's always going to be a girl chaser. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, but that's the sitcom realm. I mean, that's yeah. It's hard to compare that to true storytelling. It's yeah. it's fluff. It's entertainment. I mean, how often. When can you think of a sitcom that was arc of character? True. Yeah. Yeah, not really. No, unless they get like a deep insight, but then that's that's going to go away to the next episode. Yeah, right? oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, the other thing I was going to ask you, like, what kind of comedies do you like? I mean, I just... Um, gosh, I, I'm, I don't know. Right, as long as it's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, I like. There's some of the really broad stoner comedies that, you know, I, yeah. some of them are funny, some mm. are not. It just depends on who it is, how they did it. Um, right, how Cheech and Chong made a living out of one joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really Which, just one joke. It really it. was. <laughs> and for me, that got old. I was like, yeah, I mean, that was my generation of comedy. But I was also a Firesign Theater fan, and I, you're probably too young to know who they were. No, you have to refresh me. or Yeah, I'd have to play it for you. I okay. Mean, these guys were comedy, headphone comedy. So they layered in so many things and references and obscure references and sounds and names in the background that you go, <laughs> you could listen to it 20 times and then go, oh, I never heard that before. What's it called again? So the Firesign Theater. Firesign they had about four really good albums. Oh, yeah. That, and so there were some people that transferred the, the move, Groove Tube was a comedy from the era, but it was all sketch comedy. It was almost like Saturday Night Live. On, on radio? Yeah. 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 No, it was a movie. Oh, it was a movie. Yeah, Groove Tube. Groove Tube. Okay. Yeah, it was a movie that I went to see, and um, yeah, the three of us that went to see it, we couldn't actually get up and walk, so we stayed and watched it again. <laughs> does happen and we had no memory the first time we saw it so right it what did we, like did being we there see for this? the first time yeah. <laughs> it's like somebody on uh, Good Day or Good Morning America was interviewing the Grateful Dead and they go you guys do 200 gigs a year how do you keep it fresh every night and Garcia goes well we have no short term memory so <laughs> well, we did a show last night what? <laughs> <laughs> like, we're, we're on drugs all the time <laughs> So, yeah. Yeah. I remember, I mean, I, I, people forget, but comedy albums were huge. Yeah. Every, I mean, anybody who was funny had an album. Yeah. And I grew up in that era with 
you know, Nipsey Russell and Bill Cosby and yeah. a few obscure Southern comedians, Rusty Warren, who was uh, an adult comedian that I remember my mom had in her even, collection. Even, and Even Steve Martin had one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And brother Dave Gardner, who was a big Southern comedian, that he was very funny. And then he had all those comedy music and stuff like that. Uh, uh, Steve, what's his name? Or the, well, the streak. What's his name? Yeah, streak. What's his name? Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I think people missed that was a big thing. Was those comedic albums? Yeah, a yeah. Vaughn Meter through the whole Kennedy generation. He had people that could do impressions of all the people that are in the White House and in the United Nations. So they put out comedy albums that were based on the politics of the day, and it was very funny. Yeah, like new releases, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You buy them at the week of. Yeah. Do you still play your records? No. No? No. I I moved out of a house because we had to, quickly, and then realized I'd left my album collection. Oh, man. Left my darkroom collection. I mean, I had a full-color darkroom that I left behind, and it was oh. just, it was worth it to get out okay. of the situation. All right. So, but you still, you had albums. So I don't have albums. Not anymore. I don't have, I tried to throw out all the cassettes that we have. My wife... <laughs> Has saved a few. No, we can't. No, okay. So these are your cassettes. I don't think I even have. I have probably twenty DVDs, and maybe five CDs. Really? Ever since things went digital, I went. Why? Why do I want to carry that stuff around? Exactly. So yeah. I have it on hard drives. Yeah, you, know, you can. Yeah. 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 And then you, whenever you, it's kind of funny that we live in a day and age where we can just, I want to watch it. I, well, I can watch it now. Right. And or I want to listen to it because I have Amazon Music. Yeah. So the past couple of weeks, every morning when I'm making breakfast and coffee, I'll think of an album from 1970, 1974, 1965, you know, an old Yes album or an old Joni Mitchell album or an old Neil Young album. Sure. It's right there. I just, you know, turn it on, play it and. <laughs> Today I've been listening to Sarah Belisles doing Gravity over and over and over and over again. I just love that song. <laughs> I do kind of miss that they're not in stereo. I love the whole in stereo yeah, yeah, yeah. recordings. And But I was never a big audiophile. And, yeah. I mean, we have a TV stereo set up sitting in our garage, still in boxes, from when we bought it 12 years ago. <laughs> just never hooked it up. <laughs> yeah. Someday... Someday. Well, since my story takes place in 1968, and if you can remember, since I love cars, can you remember the car you had in 1968? Um, the family car was a, I think it was a 1968 Belvedere. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That thing was awesome. And it was like the Roadrunner. It was very similar to the Roadrunner in body shape. Yeah, it was very f sleek. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a six-cylinder and didn't really have the punch, you know. No, but so, it was solid. But that was our family car, yeah. I never had a car until I was probably 22. Okay. 21 or 22. And I had the most obscure car you could ever think of. Which one? What is it? An Isabella, Isabella model Borgward. I would have to look it up. Right. Yeah. I am, <laughs> what is that? Because I had moved to Colorado okay. with nothing. I met this girl. Her dad was a pilot for United. And he was selling this car. It was their family car that they would take up in the mountains for skiing. And it was a little um, station wagon that was, uh, Borg Ward was bought out by Mercedes-Benz in 1959 or 1960. Okay. So I had this 1958 Isabella model Borg Ward that I paid $150 for. Oh. It was a four-speed on the column. Oh, it was, on the, it was a, a column stick, right? Yeah. Yeah. And learning in Colorado, 
four speed. You on better the learn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you better learn. Right. Hey, I have never heard of that. Yeah, How much you have it? have it? Um, I had it for the time that I lived in Colorado, and then I moved back to Florida, and I sold it to a friend, and it tried to kill him one day. What? He was getting on an entrance ramp, okay. and suddenly one of the struts went out, no. and the car just went ah, 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 bouncing up and down, and he had to run into a guide rail to stop the car. Oh, my God. Because people were watching that it went, that was the most bizarre thing I ever saw. Because one corner of the car just started leaping up and down. And, yeah, so he <clears throat> he trashed it. He parked it, um, towed it away to his apartment. And I found, and I didn't keep it because I, I'll never find parts for this. So yeah. I moved back to my neighborhood in Jacksonville, Florida. In the neighborhood was an abandoned Isabella model board. I mean, it was like... <laughs> How, yeah, right. how could that have been? Uh, right. Well, <laughs> I so have to crazy. look at, I have to look that up. So right. we were living in Valencia, California. I went yeah. to the grocery store one day and there was a guy who had a fully restored, it looked like brand new Isabella and I, you know, I had to stop and talk to the guy and yeah, it's like How long did he have his? He'd had his 4 years. Really? And he redid the entire interior, leather seats and he had little medallions on the front radiator grill that certified that all this stuff was original and built wow. by people in wow. Germany, and yeah, I've cool. been to car shows all the time from '50s, '60s car shows. I never, I don't think I've ever saw one. I saw a sedan. Where was it? Was it here? Yeah, I think I was at a car. I had an audition, and there was a street fair going on of old cars. Okay, and so I yeah, finished the audition. I go over, wander through, and there was a, a Borgward sedan. So I sat and talked to the guy for a while, and yeah, we traded stories, and he had pictures, and yeah. <laughs> He's, he belonged to a Borg Ward club. So, because somebody had bought the plans and they were trying to refit a factory to bring them out again. Oh, okay. To put them back in circuit, yeah, like make yeah, more. Okay. Yeah. So. I, I kind of have a silly story. It's kind of the same uh, when I was working my script. And it so happened in my script was a 66 Thunderbird. It's in my script. I wrote it in there as a vehicle. And the pictures on the internet weren't good enough. And then my wife and I will just let's go to an AW. Sometimes old cars. I was like, "There's no way. There's no way I'm going to go there now, and there'll be a '66 Thunderbird." Of course, there was. <laughs> 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 but it's just there's no way. Why would out of all the cars right, and, right. and one that I really want? She's, let's just take your mind off it, anyways. And was it for sale? No, it wasn't. Oh, wow. No, no. But it you was, took pictures. Oh, yeah. It was a yeah. night. It was a beautiful yeah. looking 66 Thunderbird. White? Cream? What? It was a creamy. You remember? Yeah, yeah a lot yeah. of them came. No, no. They didn't really do dark colors with Thunderbirds. Not no, really. no, no. They did a blue, kind of a sky blue and a cream yeah. colored and a red. Yeah. Pretty rare on the reds, but yeah. But that was just kind of bizarre. There's no, no way. <laughs> no way. <laughs> well, if you could have one classical car. Which one would you have? Would you want to go back to the Isabella one? A 1938 Jaguar. Really? Yeah. It's like a mini limousine. Okay. It's a beautiful car. It was a car that I had a chance to buy when I was in high school. And all my money was tied up in guitars and amps and stuff. This guy was going to sell it to me for 500 running condition. And the interior was in pretty good shape. It needed engine work and... But yeah, as a high school kid, musician. Actor, yeah. yeah. You don't have the time so, either, yeah. right? And I've always loved that car, and I've run into people that have had them, and uh, almost bought one when I was in California. But every time it rained, that thing wouldn't run. <laughs> and I was like, "This is made in England. How could you have, right, especially yeah, when it rains right. every day?" <laughs> so yeah, 
but that is my my ideal it's like a nice. black and it has this burl wood interior on the oh, dashboards nice. and all the finished work around the doors yeah, beautiful Be- little car gosh, i would yeah. probably hate it because i'm so accustomed to larger vehicles now i hate intimate getting into small cars yeah you know i mean I, my ideal car is a range rover now i mean i would love some of the first edition of Range Rovers, because yeah. they're big, and I like. Oh yeah, well yeah, because everybody you get to be so adapted to what they are now. I'm six three, and you know, big guy, so right. Yeah. I don't don't really want sports cars. No, but to have that little thirty eight Jaguar as a Sunday car, you know. Yeah. Go That'd north into Wisconsin. Go north here, because I I love the roads here, and I've almost tempted to buy a motorcycle again. Because okay. you further north you go in Wisconsin and Minnesota, there's like thousands of miles of road and hundreds of people yeah yep so you just have all these great roads at vistas that you can just go forever no you won't be bothered yeah there's not much traffic i know i have a lot of friends that just bike on the weekends to just grab their motorcycles and all of a sudden yeah we're in montana now yeah Yeah. (laughs) because they just like to go nonstop. yeah or they just want to go out there and they have beautiful scenery and beautiful pictures and everything and they just kind of like get their motorcycles on the weekends or Road trip, road trips, yeah. Well, Bruce, I have to say, thanks for coming, man. Oh, sure, it was this fun. is this is a lot of fun. I hope yeah, I, I learned a lot. I'm, I, now I got homework. Thanks for. <laughs> I got homework. Next time, I'll, I'll bring a guitar and we'll do some weird stuff. So that'll be yeah, sure. I love, music's up would be great. Um, yeah, of course, I don't know if you know, but it's not over till the guest says it's over. <clears throat> it's over. Mm-hmm.